If you have a Bible, grab it and make your way to Matthew chapter 6 where Chrissy was reading from and where three times Jesus commands us, do not be anxious. Three times he gives this command, do not be anxious. And it's only fitting, even as Christy prayed, that we would be, you know, in this text this morning because a lot of people have been anxious, right? Anxious about the election, anxious about uh, COVID, anxious about the pandemic, and numbers are, are, are high, and no one's behind shutting down for a week because of it, and so many teachers are quarantined. There's just so much going on, um, and we're you know, wondering what it's going to mean uh, economically, or things going to shut down again. What's that going to mean for uh, our kids, for our schools? What All of this, like where we are living, the time that we are living in right now, is a time of high anxiety for all people. And as you read through the pages of Scripture, you see that anxiety and, like, the, the Bible is not foreign to anxiety, and it's not foreign to various aspects of mental health. As you read through the Psalms, even, just look at the Psalms for a moment. On those pages, as you read through them, people would be diagnosed based upon their writings with depression, with anxiety with mania, perhaps schizophrenia. And the, so the Bible is not foreign to these things because these things are not foreign to humanity. These things are in our lives, are in our world, fallen, this broken world. And so I want to be clear from the get-go that there are aspects of mental health that cross over from being mental health to being truly like mental illness, medical illness. And there needs to be no shame or stigma as like is related with that. None. If you, you know, break your arm, I'm going to pray for you spiritually. I'm also going to tell you to go to the doctor. So there needs to be no shame or stigma the church needs to be a safe place for people who are struggling with different things. It's okay to not be okay and to be here. And we'll trust that the Lord's going to work in you and through you. And it may look a little different. Growth in Christ may look a little different in your life than it may look in someone else's life. And that is okay. That is completely okay. And so I want to clearly state, lest there be any confusion, mental illness is a legit deal for some people. But it's also super important to delineate the difference between like spiritual struggle, spiritual anxiety, spiritual depression, and then like for real mental illness, like medical illness. There's a, there's a difference. And so we want to be careful, very careful not to medicalize spiritual problems that are addressed in God's word. But we want to also be careful not to overly spiritualize true medical problems that aren't as addressed in, at least not addressed in God's Word in the same way. Let me, let me say that again, make sure we got We want to be careful not to medicalize spiritual problems. So if someone's got an issue, we don't just throw medicine at it, be better. Like, it may just be a spiritual problem they need to work through. They're sancti God's sanctifying people. 
But we also want to be careful not to overly spiritualize medical problems. All, all you need is more prayer and more Bible study. Well, a broken arm, you need to go to the doctor too. And so the reality is that like, a lot of it's somewhere in between. Because I think in some ways, all mental health issues are spiritual. It's just not that they're just spiritual. They may also be medical as well. And so regardless of whether your anxiety is like clinical anxiety or circumstantial anxiety, I want to share with you this morning from God's Word four ways to fight back against anxiety when it rises in your heart. Four tactics, like whether you have clinical anxiety or or circumstantial, four ways, because we all face it, four ways to fight back against it when it begins rising in our hearts. All right, and so the first one, if you've got your uh, sermon guide around, number one, when anxiety attacks, number one, remember what is true. This is the first tactic of fighting back. Remember what is true. And so look at verse 25 with me again. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so again, number one, when anxiety attacks, remember what is true. To, to like call a time out as anxiety is swelling and mounting in your mind and in your heart. Call a time out and rehearse to yourself. Like force yourself to remember what is true, not what you fear. See, what happens a lot of times is when anxiety comes into our lives and we start getting worried about something, we start getting worked up about something, that something begins to dominate our lives and everything seems to revolve around that. It's got to work out, right? Everything revolves around that. I mean, think about your own experiences that you've gone through where anxiety or worries popped up and it just becomes almost all-consuming. It's all you can think about. And everything's wrapped up in it Everything in your life seems to relate to it. There's nothing you can see beyond it. And you get caught up in this vicious cycle to the point that whether it's what you eat or what you drink or what you wear or anything else in life, you get so caught up and so consumed that all of a sudden your whole life, your joy, your peace, your hope seem to depend on that thing or some outcome you want. And folks, when that happens, these things, listen to me, we need to, we need to acknowledge this. When they control our emotions to that level, these things have just transferred from being things to being our master. 
Because they're dictating to us how we feel, how we respond. They've just transferred from being things to being idols. And we get so gripped by anxiety and worry, trying to lock down and control and protect our idols because we've set our hope and our joy and our peace in them to the point that, like, if they go, so does our hope and our joy and our peace. And we're kind of like, what's going on? I mean, we are seeing this play out politically right now. Amongst some people. Because the reality is that politics, in a lot of ways, has become a religion for some people. I mean, even many Christians evangelize way more for a candidate than they ever have for Christ. Many Christians have read and studied and discipled themselves about a candidate or a cause way more than they've ever read or studied or been discipled about Christ. I mean, that's just idolatry. And it's on both sides of the aisle. And so for many people, like when your guy wins... There's this ecstasy. Oh, it's all going to be okay. And if your guy loses, there's anxiety. Oh no, the world's going to end. And neither of those are the right response for the Christian. God's not up for election. His throne is not like, is it going to work out for him to sit on his throne? He reigns. Period. But we do the same thing with way more than just politics. It's just the obvious one this week. As Calvin said long ago, our hearts are idol factories. So we constantly create idols to bow to, constantly create God replacements in our lives. And friends, it's largely our idols that drive our anxiety. That's where our anxiety comes from. It comes from idols in our hearts. Idols of being successful, idols of being liked by people, being included, being appreciated, being applauded. None of which are bad things. It's just when they take the wrong place as priorities in our lives. As can other good things become idols. Kids can become idols. Spouses can become idols. Jobs can become idols. Sports teams can become idols. Cars and money, anything become, uh, can become an idol. And so maybe part of remembering what is true in combating anxiety is accepting the hard truth that you have an idol in your life and you need to repent. But regardless of the genesis of our anxiety, like we're going to have attacks, right? And when it attacks and you find yourself getting gripped and getting focused on that one thing, it's beginning to dominate your thoughts and your emotions and everything about you is beginning to dominate you. It's beginning welling in your heart. You've got to call a time out and remember what is true in that moment. Because our anxieties lie to us and so we need to replace the lies with truth. I mean, this is part of what it's, the call is here to look at the birds and look at the lilies. 
to remember what's true. God takes care of them. He's going to take care of you. That life is not just about like what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear or whatever else you've been consumed by. Life's about a whole lot more than that. And so just personally, like this is a tactic I use often in my life. When I hear people talking about things, when I hear people saying things about me, When anxieties start ramping up over, you know, a, a scare from a mammogram for Sarah. When Eden was born and they diagnosed her with Down syndrome and anxiety starts welling up. And then they say, oh, she's got a life-threatening colon issue and anxiety wells up. And they say, oh, she also has a life-threatening heart issue. She's got to have heart surgery very, very soon at three months. Anxiety wells up. In those moments, what do you do? How, what is one of the ways you can combat? It's by remembering what is true. Grabbing hold, uh, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and grabbing hold and bringing that down. And what is true? What is true is that God is in control. What is true is that God loves me and is for me and there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ Jesus. What is true is that God will never leave me or forsake me. And that no matter what happens, I will always remain His. And that He loves me. And that I'm more valuable than a bird and I'm more valuable than a lily. And if He takes care of those, then He's going to take care of me. Because He's faithful. He sticks closer than a brother. He's a good, good father. He doesn't hand out snakes and scorpions to His children. He's not against us. And he never quits working for his children. As the psalmist said, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so friends, when anxiety attacks, recount these things. Remember these things. Believe these things. Trust these things. They are true. I mean, maybe you've got an end-of-year performance review coming up, and it's got you all, you know, geeked up, all worried over that, and you're stressed, and anxiety's growing up. Listen, what's the worst that could happen? They fire you? Okay. God still loves you. And even smaller things, you're going to go home maybe to a family, roof over your head, you've got food in the fridge, and what are you going to do? You're going to look for another job. You're going to be okay. So don't let your mind just race and run off. Grab it and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and remember what is true, not what could be. Remember what is true. That's step one, tactic one in combating anxiety. When anxiety attacks, remember what is true. What is, I mean, Philippians 4, 8, what is good, what is proper, what is right. Think on these things. Number two, secondly, remember who holds your life. Remember who holds your life. This is kind of part of remembering what's true, but more specific. Remember who holds your life. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Now, first of all, I mean, Jesus, the first thing he's saying here is that worrying is pointless. That's what Jesus is saying. 
And we know this to be true, even though we don't always believe it, but we know like worrying has never solved a problem. It's never dried a tear. It's never lifted a burden. It's never removed an obstacle. It's never made bad things good, good things better. Like worry has no power to improve things. It does have power to make things worse. And so the point is that worrying helps nothing. It doesn't add an extra hour and give you more time to do something. No, actually what it does is it robs you of time. All worry does is waste. It shrivels the soul. It robs you of joy, leaving you ill-equipped to face the challenges emotionally and spiritually of each new day. Worry robs you. I was reading this week and one guy wrote this and it just, uh, I thought it was profound. Worriers feel every blow that never falls. And they cry over things they will never lose. You waste all this emotional energy over things that probably aren't even going to happen. Think about your life, how much time you've wasted worrying over things that didn't happen. And so Jesus is saying, on the one hand, like, stop, don't do that. But he's also undergirding that call with an implication. Because... Okay, you don't control your span of life. Implication, who does? God does. And so when anxiety attacks, remember who holds your life. It's not you. You don't hold it. You don't control it. Remember who holds your life. God does. Your life is in the hands of your Father who loves you. He designed it. He knows its end from its beginning. Psalm 139 says, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It's God who holds your life. Remember that. Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, Sovereign over all, God holds your life. And all that God has promised will come to pass because He's sovereign. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we get this, when we understand who God is, these attributes of, of Him, we begin to see the pointlessness of anxiety. Though we're prone to it because we're weak and fallen, yes. But Logically, seeing it's pointless, it's frivolous. But, and then we see the purposefulness then of trusting everything to our Father who loves us. See, it's only when we want to take our lives out of the Father's hands and have them in our own control that we find ourselves gripped with anxiety when we want to control it. And so one of the secrets of freedom from anxiety is freedom from ourselves and abandonment from our plans. Your will be done. 
and the spirit that emerges in our, and that spirit only emerges in our lives when our minds are filled with the knowledge of who God is, that he is sovereign and he's good. That he's all-powerful and he's kind. And he's loving, that he's a good father. It's as you remember these things that you are held in the hands of God Almighty. That anxiety can begin to evaporate. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like going home. We were talking about this at my men's group on Friday. I grew up in uh, Georgia. When I was a kid, our address was Rural Route 1. My parents still live in the same home that they lived in even before I was born. I never knew another home until Sarah and I got married. That's all I'd ever known. And even to this day, when we drive down and go and visit my family, we pull up, we park the car, and even before I get in, into the house, which is, you know, very unchanged, there's just a peacefulness that settles. Because I'm home. That's where I grew up. It's just because of 18 years of, of protection and safety there, there's just a... It just comes off of you. That's a lot like what it is when we remember that God is holding us. That in His hands we're home. And we're safe. We can let down our guard. It doesn't mean we don't stop. It doesn't mean we stop doing anything, but you can breathe again. It's not all on you to keep it up. And you've got... God's got way more than 18 years of showing his faithfulness and protection. And so when anxiety attacks, remember these things. Remember what's true and and remember then who holds you. Not just your life, but holds you personally in his hands. A third tactic third thing to rehearse and recount in your mind when anxiety attacks is this. Remember God's generosity. Remember God's generosity. And specifically to you. Look at verse 26 again. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Let's go down to verse 28. And why are you anxious? Sorry. Yeah. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Now, 
And the point here is that like, when anxiety attacks, remember like, how God has responded. Like, he's not a miser with the, with the birds and the lilies. He's not out there like withholding worms from the robin. <laughs> right? He's not out there like, I'll paint all you flowers gray because I don't want to bless you with color. Paint some of the most extraordinary, beautiful colors. He feeds the birds. He robes the flowers. It brings God joy to provide for his creation. So how much more does it bring him joy to provide for his children? Like he loves to provide. That's why he tells us, pray for your daily bread. I'll take care of it. I love to provide for you. He enjoy, it's not drudgery to him to provide for you. I mean, Christmas is right around the corner, right? In fact, I know how many days Christmas is. It's 46 days away. How do I know that? Because there's a blow-up snowman, no, Santa, in one of my neighbor's yards. It's got a countdown on it. It's 46 days away. But to understand how God enjoys providing for his children, think about Christmas for a minute and, and pretend you're a parent for a minute. Like, imagine you're a parent. Like, you want, at Christmas, you want to see your kids smile. It gives you joy to watch them tear open those presents and smile. It is a good thing. I love to see that happen in my own life. You even think about the Christmas classic um, Christmas story, right? Ralphie, you'll, you'll shoot your eye out. In that movie... Like think about the moment when, when Ralphie actually gets the Red Rider and he's opening it up. Like watch, watch the dad in that scene. Like, yeah, Ralphie's excited, but watch the dad. He's sitting back there and he's like, yeah, all right, pull, pull the BBs in, just right. Like the dad is so happy to be blessing his child. That is how your father is with you. He loves to provide for you. He loves to bless you. It's not drudgery to him. Now, it doesn't mean that like tomorrow you're, or on Christmas morning you're going to wake up like one of those uh, never happened in the history of the universe Lexus commercials where there's a bow and a Lexus in the driveway, right? It's not going to happen unless it has happened. I don't know. If you do, like, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. It's never happened for me. So it doesn't mean he's just going to provide like your wants and your greeds, but he will provide your needs. And he loves to do this. And so when anxiety strikes, remember this. He bountifully took care of the birds. He bountifully took care of the lilies. How much more valuable are you than those things? Those are just created things. You are a child of God if you've trusted in Christ by faith. You've been adopted into his family. Yes, God is concerned and loves people in general, but he has a special love for his people. And he will take care of you. Remember God's generosity towards you. It's like the old song, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. God has proven his faithfulness to you over and over. He's not going to just stop. 
remember these things. When the lies come, the anxieties come, they build up. Take those thoughts captive and remember. Remember what is true. Remember who holds you. Remember God's generosity. In verse 31, let's look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or what shall we do now? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so in your ongoing fight against anxiety, like, seek the kingdom first. Like, when your life is, is focused on yourself, on right here, you're, you're trapped by your anxieties, but when you get your eyes off of yourself and you seek His kingdom and not your own, when your anxieties begin to lessen. And so number four is seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Like worldly people, and sometimes that describes us, though we may be Christians, sometimes we give back in, but worldly people seek after worldly treasure. That's what he's saying. The Gentiles seek after all these things. They don't know any better. That's, that's all that they have to hope in. It's get all I can, can all I get, sit on the can. Like that's their whole, like that's all you can do. Find joy in life under the sun. That's all a non-believer can do. And all that does is induce anxiety. Because you're looking in this world for what can't be found. And it's like looking for penicillin at, at the Napa Auto Place. Right? I don't care how much Napa know-how they have, they can't prescribe penicillin to you. You've got to go to a different store for that. You've got to go to a different source for that. And it's the same thing with us. In our battle against anxiety, we've got to go to a different store. We've got to get a different, so a different focus. And so Jesus is calling us, like the whole passage this morning really is like, stop worrying about your little kingdom and start seeking mine first. Do you know that hypocrisy and anxiety actually have a lot in common? Like hypocrisy is what Jesus is hitting on early in chapter 6. Don't be a hypocrite when you give. Don't be a hypocrite when you pray. Don't give a hypocrite when you fast. Then he teaches us how to pray. And then he starts talking about anxiety. There's a reason for that. Both anxiety and hypocrisy have the same cause. Self-focus. With hypocrisy, you're focused on yourself and wanting people to notice you, be seen by others. With anxiety, you're focused on yourself. I've got to control everything to make things work right. It's about your, your, your needs. Your... But they're both driven by self-focus. And so the cure then is the same for both of them. 
both of, for, I mean, for both of them, the cure is to get your eyes up and behold the glory and the grace and the goodness of Christ Jesus and seek His kingdom. Live for a greater purpose than just the accumulation of stuff that's going to wind up in a garage sale for someone or as a footnote, probably not even mentioned in history. Live for a bigger purpose than just like little things that are going to rot. Where moth and rust destroy. Don't store up treasure here, store up treasure there. And so anxiety, I mean, just think about like This call from Jesus is kind and good because anxiety can never be cured by just trying to get more of what you already have and it doesn't satisfy you and in, like, increases your anxiety. You're already anxious about something. You already have all this stuff and it won't satisfy you, right? I'm not satisfied with my house. I'm not satisfied with my job. I'm not satisfied with uh, my retirement account. I'm not satisfied with how much attention I'm getting on social media. I'm not satisfied with all these things. And they already give me anxiety about my job and my, 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 my family and all these things. So you know what I'll do? Oh, I'll just... I'll get more house, and I'll get more money, and I'll get more likes on social media. All these, I'll go after that. Like, it's never going to be cured. You're just going to be, you, that's a treadmill of misery and stupidity. Like, turn it off. Get off the treadmill. Go outside. Like, get out of your kingdom. Go outside. Seek the kingdom. Get out of your little kingdom that you live in and go seek the kingdom. Not your own. And when we seek Christ's kingdom first, our anxiety lessens. And we see, yeah, he provides everything I need. All these other things take care of themselves. And he begins saying, yeah, all those things I thought I wanted, I don't want them anymore. I don't need those. Why did I waste all that time worried about this? This is what it means when it says, you know, all all these things will be added unto you. I mean, even the Rolling Stones kind of get that, right? You can't always get what you want. You get what you need. And just contextually here, I mean, the fact that Jesus is commanding us to seek first the kingdom of God means he knows we don't. He knows a lot of times we put other things first. We have those idols in our life. We have these other little kingdoms we live for. And so I just want to pause for a moment and give us time to think about what that may be in our own life. Like, what kingdom, what God does your time, your daydreams, your mental energy, what you think about, what you spend the bulk of your time on, your anxieties? Like, what, does, what would all those things say is actually the kingdom you live for and seek? What would all those things say is actually the God you live for? 
got something in mind? No, no, no wonder we're so anxious. Friends, the point is really simple. If your heart is captivated by anything other than Christ, you will be anxious. And so the call of do not be anxious is also a call from Jesus to thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he calls us to us for our good and our joy because when we understand that, then all these things that that are idols and masters in our lives, they just return to being things. Things that we can enjoy and be glad about, but they're just things. They're not our God. They're not our master. They're not our idol. We don't have to keep running on a bankrupt treadmill of looking for fulfillment and purpose in leaky cisterns that can never hold the weight that we try to put on them. Being dogs who just keep returning to our vomit. And that's scriptural if you're getting grossed out. I quoted the Bible. And we've been set free from that. Jesus has rescued us from the futility and vanity of those things and can fill our hearts with satisfaction and purpose and meaning that we are so desperate for, but that's only found outside of the Son, Ecclesiastes. That's only found as we seek His kingdom, not our own. And as we do that, kind of like, you know, Thanos snaps his finger and everybody starts dusting and disappearing. As we seek his kingdom, our anxiety will begin dusting. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Friends, here's the brass tacks. The God who took care of our greatest problem at the cross can be trusted to take care of you day by day. He has secured eternity He can take care of daily. If you are willing to trust Him for eternal life, trust Him for daily life. He will see you through. He will hold you fast. And so there really is no need to be worried. God is on His throne You are his child, and he holds you in his hand. When anxiety attacks, remember these things. Remember what's true. Remember who holds you. Remember his generosity towards you, and seek his kingdom. That's how you combat anxiety. Let's pray. Father, we're prone to forget these things. We are prone, so prone, Lord, to look for, uh, we're so prone to look to leaky cisterns and put our hope in things that 
If we would just pause long enough to consider your word, we would see the truth. That they can't hold the weight of that, Lord. We're so prone to find our identity and our hope in things and jobs and titles and positions. This is who I am. And then that thing goes away. Who, oh gosh, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. We put our hopes and securities in outcomes. And oh man, that didn't happen. What do I do? We put it in physical things. And so Father, first of all, just, Lord, would you forgive us? Every person who has ever lived has sinned in this way. Would you forgive us? And would you help us to remember the truths that we talked about today, Father, and that there is a kingdom worth living for and it's not our own. That there's a kingdom that will be forever, that will be eternal, and it's not our own. And so why waste our lives? Why seek to gain the whole wide world and forfeit our souls? Father, fill our hearts with the truth of who you are and your, your, your kindness and love towards us. That you do forgive. That you're patient with us. Lord, thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thanks for never quitting. Thanks for never writing. Thank you for being who you are. Faithful. Thank you that you hold us fast. Even when we don't hang on to you, you hang on to us. And so, Father, help us to cling to you. But thank you that you cling to us. In Christ's name.